Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Uh, anyway, we are joined uh, once again by Tara Walsh, Esther McCarthy and, and uh, Leslie Williams. Good afternoon to you all. Good afternoon. Hello. Esther, are you there? I am. I'm oh, there you are. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we knew you were there. We were just ignoring you. Uh, that, that, that's all we So it's it's sherry we're talking about today. Well, Leslie. it's Spanish wines. Um, okay. We felt two sherries might be a bit, 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 bit of overload for people. Yeah. So we've got a really gorgeous uh, white Grenache from the uh, north, from Catalonia. Okay. Um, just one that I doubt has been mentioned here before because it's new in the country. And then I've got the same sherry that is used. The barrels of this sherry are used raging red breasts and various other um, whiskies. So it's I, 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 I uh, I'm, so, I'm in because uh, yes. I love a red breast yes exactly uh, I do so you could bring in that as well but I thought that might be too much you know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but no we wouldn't get through the show no, no, basically no, yeah. uh, no but red breast is, uh, is really lovely uh, I've, uh, I've, in fact I have a bottle at home that was given as a present you know uh, under strict instructions to keep it for a special occasion so you know yeah. <laughs> Wednesday is a special yeah, occasion absolutely. in my book make, don't keep it for a special occasion make it the occasion special by opening it Sean that's what uh, I say no it's, it's like it's well opened so I, 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 I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm actually revealed that uh, right. I've had several special occasions already <laughs> uh, and uh, the two films today Esther mm. yeah absolutely okay that's, that's, that's the review for those two uh, um um, um, yeah. okay well Red Notice you know I suppose you wouldn't have much expectations about that it's just I a, mean a yeah I mean we need, we need to talk about Ryan Reynolds though like we need someone to go up to him and go have you tried acting my dear boy I mean an intervention He's just playing Ryan Reynolds, a version of Ryan Reynolds and everything now. And it's kind of an annoying version. Um, I think it all started with Deadpool. He was a half-decent actor 11 years ago. Um, and he was making interesting, really interesting films like Buried, which was like um phone booth in a tomb, yeah, tomb yeah. I guess, a burial tomb. He's really good in that. And he sustained what was a, a, a kind of a one idea film for an hour and a half. But then the Deadpool thing happened and he became a kind of a big movie star. And I feel like he's just been doing versions of that ever since, you know, and I'm just really getting tired of it. And he goes full Ryan Reynolds in this one because there's a lot of patter. There's a lot of insults between him and The Rock, um, who's also in this, and Gal Gadot. Uh, they play three, three people trying to hoodwink each other. The, the most expensive movie uh, ever produced by Netflix actually it's wow. estimated to have cost over 200 grand uh, more foreign locations than a Bond film I, I, I stopped counting after a while so um, this one will be it'll be interesting to see how people will respond to it I guess you know and it's a kind of a spy jobby is it yeah it's a spy jobby the, red, the term red notice refers to the highest level of arrest warrant issued by Interpol mm. um, for the world's most wanted criminals. So uh, Gal Gadot is regarded as the world's uh, most wanted jewel thief and Ryan Reynolds plays the world's second most wanted jewel thief. I know uh, premise. I know Ryan Reynolds maybe he needs to, you know, uh, start varying that. But Gal Gadot, I don't know why she just annoys my whole. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I mean, well, what she did to us at the start of this whole Well, there is that. Yes, that's, cruel, that should have been a career you know? end, really. <laughs> But it's just, I don't yeah. know what it is about her. She just annoys me. Uh, I it's don't know funny what... how quickly she has annoyed people because when she emerged in the first Wonder Woman film, people went, what a breath of fresh air. She's great. She looks smart. She's a bright superhero. 
Um, and it was a really good, you know, with really good backstory of her origins and, and the world where she came from. Very female centric, very female empowering. And then just she just seems to slid off the, the grid since then. You know, she was regarded as going to be one of the biggest stars in the world on foot of the first Wonder Woman. Now, at Home Sweet Home Alone, we have already played a clip of the controversial accent issue. Uh, uh, do you do you have a take on that? I mean, mother of God, can I just say like, <laughs> Ashling B's accent in this is the least worst thing about yes. this film. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's actually quite okay. It's 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 consistent, and she's supposed to be kind of posh. She's supposed to be a posh character, but mother of God, isn't she from the north of England? Just, I thought she was more like, you know, Mancunian, Coronation Street type thing rather than well off. Is she not from Ireland? Yeah, she's Irish. No, but I mean, the car- no, but the, her accent in oh, this film yeah. is a North of England oh, no. accent. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's well, if, if, she, if she is North of England, she's posh North of England. She's definitely not the kind of accent you'd hear on Corrie now, you know. Right, okay. Um, oh, that's, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I just kind of go into why, like... Well, they, they've given us a movie that nobody really wanted, you know. Mm. And to be fair, the Home Alone franchise, because it deserves to be called a franchise at this stage, I think. Um, I mean, we've had, this is the sixth film now. It's not like evil baddies came along and made the great first film. You know, they have been flogging it for a while. Um, but I just think back, how did you feel about the the first Home Alone film? Did you did you fall in love with it or? No. What did you think of it? I thought no? it was all right. Uh, um, I, I, I'm no. kind of like, you know, I'm not offended by it, but I mean, I'm not, it's not like, oh, I've got to watch this every Christmas kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised. I went, when I was doing a bit of research for this, I, I was surprised. I kind of got middling reviews uh, at the time because in my movie memory, it is like one of the great Christmas classics and a, f- a film that everyone loves, you mm. know. Um, I think it's I think it's John Hughes' script for me. You know, I I just loved all these eighties films anyway that were geared at you know those teenage high school movies. But he wrote a f- quite a few children's family films as well, and his script is one here. And I think I just love the chaos and the boldness of it. Um, I love that they cast like they Joe Pesci was probably one of the best known mobster actors at that time, and I love how they cast him as the baddie in a, yeah. in a kids' film. I thought there was a kind of a, just an anarchy to it that I really enjoyed, actually, and is absolutely nowhere to be seen here, it has to be said. Yeah, and when there, there was, I mean, I think we've mentioned this before, but uh, a group of economic students uh, did an analysis of the first two. Or the first three, because there's one where they go to there's one they go to Paris, there's one where they go to New York, and it's a large extended family. They stay in a fabulous mm. um, stay in a fabulous hotel. They're all flying first class and all the rest of it. And they did an analysis based on the available information from the films as to what the father did for a living, and uh, they came to the conclusion he's obviously a drug dealer. Uh, uh, so uh, Joe, he's actually dwarfs Joe Pesci in terms of his criminality, uh, and that explains how uh, everything is funded there. Uh, right, okay, well, there's uh, two films not to look forward to. Uh, now, um, Harry Potter, they're going to do a kind of a Harry Potter cast, sits on a couch going, wasn't it all great together type thing, and people will lap it up. Yeah, that's what's been reported at the moment. Now, the first movie, Philosopher's Stone, dropped 20 years ago on Tuesday. So Tuesday the 16th is the anniversary of it. So it's been reported that everyone's hopeful it is going to happen, that a friend-style reunion for the Harry Potter cast is heading our way, but nothing's been confirmed yet. It's kind of shrouded in secrecy because they're trying to lock down the cast. Um, But I would really like to see it because I really enjoyed the Friends reunion special. I thought it was done so well. So if it's done as well as that, I think it could, I think they could pull it off. Right, but I, 
Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I don't I... care. I'm not investigated <laughs> enough to... Uh, to... Well, the, I suppose the thing is like the, the, uh, like the Friends thing, how people related to Friends, I think is probably different to how people related to Harry Potter because they had created such a distinct world. It was, it was quite distinct from those actors who were portraying those characters. Whereas in Friends, you can almost imagine they were kind of like that and they were friends anyway. Exactly. I think what's interesting about the Harry Potter franchise is that they actually all grew up together. They started mm. when they were like, I think it's 12 or something or 10. Yeah. They were very, very young. And then by the time they had wrapped up, they were in their 20s. So I think it would be interesting to see them all back together on the couch again. I'd say there's some gas memories. Um, I think it'd be good. I'm into it. Yeah, well, people, it doesn't matter. People will lap it up one way or the other. <laughs> uh, I'm really, I now, I now want to see uh, The Power of the Dog. This is Benedict Cumberbatch's, uh, Cumberbatch's or Stinky Patch's uh, uh, new movie. <laughs> That's quite a precise uh, description. Uh, it's like... Tell us about his method acting in this. Yeah, this is crazy. So Benedict Cumberbatch has been kind of well known for his method acting uh, over his last few projects. But this one, he's taken it quite far. So he stars in The Power of the Dog um, and he, he is a ranch owner in early 20th century, 20th century Montana. And he said in an interview with Esquire that his character barely washes. So he decided to kind of follow suit and he explained it as he he showed up to work with a layer of stink on him. So he didn't wash, basically. Mm. Um, And he said it wasn't even just on set. It was actually even, you know, it wasn't just in rehearsals. He was going to eat and meet friends of the director, Jane Campion, and he was showing up stinking because he really wanted to embody this character. And like, that's not that's not the only thing he um. His character smokes a lot. Mm. So he said that he would have unfiltered Rollies take after take after take and ended up giving himself um, poisoning. Uh, what's it called? Tobacco poisoning. Tobacco Nicotine poisoning. poisoning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just, oh, I think it's mental. I, is it? And he wouldn't react. If anybody called him Benedict, he wouldn't. Yeah, react he, to that. he he had to be called Phil because that's his character's name in the movie. So he went all out on it. I, I don't know if it's, is it necessary? Is it as necessary? Well, as I mean, the thing is, if you're, and apparently Kirsten Dunst uh, and uh, Jesse Plemons are in this uh, yeah. with him as well. God love them. I mean, are they supposed <laughs> to just like pretend this guy isn't reeking? Are, are they yeah. not supposed to recoil from him in every scene or is that the logic of it? Well, he said, I wanted people in the room to know what I smelt like. So Jesus. I suppose it helped it helped their acting. Well, maybe, unless you were acting really far away from them. Or, or, or if there are lines in the movie saying, my God, man, take a bath or, 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 or something like that. I don't see what the point of it is. You know what, unless they're stinky people too. What famously, what, you know the story about Robert Oli- Lawrence Olivia? And, yes. Yeah. In, uh, no, no, Marathon tell the story. Well, no, just Marathon Man, um, uh, Dustin Hoffman is running up and down trying to get a sweat because he's been supposedly running and, you know, uh, rather witheringly, Lawrence Lawrence Olivia says, well, why don't you just try acting, dear boy? Oh, my God. God. <laughs> Honest to God, like I just don't, I don't understand method acting. I, I, I don't think it's necessary. It kind of implies he doesn't have much of an imagination, actually. Maybe he's just because a he crap has actor. to, he has to actually become the person to act the person. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah I'm with you on that. Leslie, uh, yeah, what are we having for us? Yeah, give you a taste of it first. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, okay, well, that's a very, that's a very nice glass. Now, is that a, is that a sherry glass? That's at a, all? No, this is a real it's glass. A, it's a stemless. Well, I suppose would Thank you describe you that much. as a stemless wine glass? Or it's a stemless wine glass. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's actually from the, the two wines are from Mitchell's, and so is the real glass. Yeah. So I thought it's appropriate to bring the, the same glass. So that's actually, I think, trick tip. I think that's a Syrah glass or a Shiraz Syrah glass. That's what that okay. Is. So uh, the wine is uh, Grenache Blanc, uh, Garnacha Blanco, as they would say in Catalonia. Secret de Mar. It's fifteen ninety five. Uh, white Grenache is uh, mutation. 
kind of red Grenache, or pretty much we think. Um, it is used in White Chantel de Pape, it's used in Roussillon, and there's a huge amount of it in, in this part of Spain, near near Tarragona, kind of south of Barcelona. It's a warm area. Um, I mean, the grape can be a little flabby in bad versions, and sometimes you mix in a little bit, bit of a fresher grape. And sure enough, they put in a bit of Macabeo in this just to kind of give it a bit of a zing. But I just loved its kind of floral, creamy, mm. rounded notes and so on. Try it with a, a salted almond. I brought salted almonds today. And this is uh, very fun. All right, okay. This is. Uh... <laughs> How are you supposed to do it? Well, now? Just, you well, have to keep just, it in your mouth. Well, well, the salted almonds are more for the sherry, but I just thought we interested okay. to try it with these as well. Salted almonds are just this gorgeous thing. I got these in Lots and Co. They're not cheap. It's five for euros for that little tiny box. I wonder God. <laughs> We're not paying <laughs> them for them. No <laughs> way. That's coming there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so just uh, don't be afraid of Grenache Blanc, uh, Southern Roussillon, mm. things like that, and then and this is sort of the nuttiness. I wanted that to bring out the nuttiness, just basically of the and the creaminess of the wine, and it kind of lingers into it. It is probably more wine for food, although. It's Actually, it's rich enough. I think you could drink it on its own. And uh, I just really like this part of Spain. It's 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 basically as you head from, south from um, Barcelona, you're into a few different wine regions along the coast there. And Tarragona would be the next town, and this is just a bit further on. Tarragona would be less known, but it's the biggest production of uh, white Grenache that they in in Spain basically. And, uh, well, and Spain's a big country. It it is. There's an awful lot of it. Maybe neglected from one True. point of view, from our uh, viewpoint. I well, say. It's one of my favourite things about Spain is that there is all these tiny little regions that are growing grapes that we don't know. I mean, that you don't even really see. You know, mm. um, I mean, well, there's ones that I've mentioned here before, like Bierzo making growing Mencia, Valdeoras up in and Ribera Sacra in Galicia growing uh, Gadeo, but also Tresadura and um, and other grapes. There's a Quinio Branco I had in last one time there. I mean, it, Spain is big. It's the third biggest producer in the world. Um, now, it would be, in terms of land under vine, it's the biggest because the vines are more spaced out because it's a warmer country. But Spanish mountain wine, I don't think we think of Spain, oh, it's too hot to grow and it would be too hot to grow in some places. But don't forget there's a lot of mountains. So all the, you head up the mountain, you get these nice cool regions and so on and you get dense, dense flavours. And Spain has gone in the last 15 years from fourth biggest wine cellar in Ireland to number two just behind Chile. Okay. So, yeah. Because we're starting to realise that all these small little vine- you can take a risk on Spain. You can just randomly pick one from the shelf and that's not something you would mm. I would really recommend for most countries. You know? yes. But Spain generally I think even even the, the cheap stuff in the supermarkets I think is, is, is always drinkable. And, uh, and I said fifteen ninety nine for this I think is, is really good. You that's know? really uh, nice. Uh, Text here now you may, yeah, there might not be enough detail in this but uh, I have a 1967 Chateauneuf de Pape. Is it drinkable and how much is it worth? Oh, It's not worth much I'm Right. But it's not in a crate anyway. You know, probably have to know. I mean, you might find somebody, but look, you'd be amazed. There's a lot of people out there who save loads of money and they're not spending it on going out. And so auction prices are mad at the minute. I mean, there was some bottles of undrinkable, um, fancy French wine from the 50s that auctions last year and some of them sold for like 150 each. And they were undrinkable. I know this because you could see wow. from the bottle that there was about three inches missing out of it and they would just guaranteed have been oxidised. I mean, look at the levels. 67, I don't know what 67 was like in Spain. It was okay in most of Europe, as far as I know. 68 was the really bad year in Europe. I know that because it was my first year. to be this on radio. Um, but um, um, I, look, if it's a famous producer, if it's Chateau Reyes or if it's Chateau Bocastel, maybe. If it's a random one, it's not worth anything. But yeah. if it was a famous producer, like Google the producer, and if it's a famous producer, it is absolutely worth thinking about putting it into the auction. And I don't mean like Adams because they have fancy auctions. I mean, you know, like Herman Wilkinson do it. O'Reilly's on, on um, Francis Street. They'll throw in the odd bottle of wine if they think it's worth it you know mm. so uh, would it well it's hard it to tell if it, might, if, if it might 
still be drinkable. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. Re- I, I, I doubt it. <laughs> well, I don't personally think Chateau Neuf de Pape lasts all that well anyway. I mean, it, yeah. it lasts, you get maybe 15, 20 years out of a good one, but I don't really think, I think it's a wine best drunk when you can still get the heft and the, yeah. the luscious fruit. It's all about fat, juicy Grenache fruits, basically. You know, yeah. Grenache Blanc actually is one of the permitted grape varieties. You can have a, up to 16 grape varieties in Grenache, in Chateau Neuf de Pape. Grenache Red is the main one. Uh, Grenache Syrah Morvedo is the classic combination with 80% of that usually Grenache. But you can have 15, 16 different other varieties. You know, so. Oh, I didn't realise that. Bourbelenc, Sanso, Carignan, all these ones you haven't heard of. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, so, so it's just a huge blend, really. Yeah. Right, OK, Esther, what movie would you like to do first? Let's do uh, Home Sweet Home Alone first. OK, brace yourself. We're going to uh, do Home Sweet Home Alone first. Uh, hello to Caroline and Cora listening in the car back in a couple of minutes. was the night before Christmas vacation. And the fun was in full swing. You have split our family onto two separate flights. Mom! Max, please! The family left for their big vacation. Is that everyone? The cars are leaving now! But forgot one little thing. Mom? Dad? Uncle Blake? They don't even know I'm here. They don't even know I'm here. My mum and dad have gone to Tokyo. I'm totally on my own. You do realise that my 10-year-old son is at home by himself. You just assumed Max was on the other flight. We didn't take a census. Ooh, we left Jungen at factory. Uh, I th- her, her, her accent actually migrated uh, south uh, during those two bits of the clip. That's, uh, anyway, that's uh, Home Sweet Home Alone. You can watch it on, uh, who cares? Uh, Esther, anyway, go on. What is the premise to this movie? Well, Surprise to us. To, to add to the confusion, I know, what am I going to tell you about plot like? Mm. Um, to add to the confusion, this is actually set in Chicago. So, uh, you know, it's not even set in England, as you might believe from the, the clip of Vashing B. Um, and there's one scene about halfway through this where a character says, this is garbage. I don't know why they're trying to remake the classics. They're never <laughs> as good as the originals <laughs> as he turns off a programme on the telly. And I'm sorry now. If you were going to have a tongue in cheek comment in a reboot like that, you'd better make sure it's funny. Mm. Uh, so it was kind of insult to injury, really, with that scene. Um, and against my better judgment, I kind of had some hopes for this because... Um, the young lead in it has given one of my favourite supporting child performers of recent years, um, little Archie Yates, who was wonderful in Jojo Rabbit. I know a film you liked very mm. much, uh, Taika Waititi's film. He was Jojo's young friend, the, the young English friend who used to play at um, being in the Third Reich as well. Um, and, and has that mad scene with the rocket launcher towards the end. So he stole every scene he was in this little boy so when I heard he'd been cast as the lead in this I thought oh well maybe this guy's going to be in demand after Jojo um, and let's see what he does but like you see straight away having seen Archie Yates being directed by a great filmmaker um, and bringing that child performance to life how muted it is here so you know it's not down to this young actor's talent or lack of it it's just the whole thing is beige really Um, so Archie Yates plays Max He's kind of a well-off kid. He's cheeky. Um, They live in Chicago and there is a big plan to holiday in Japan um, for the Christmas vacations. So as you heard in the clip, uh, they get, you know, everyone else thinks he's on the flight ahead of the main flight with his mom, who's played by uh, Ashing Bay. And uh, yeah, he gets left behind. He falls asleep in the car and there's confusion and chaos. Very familiar sounding, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, 
So, Soon. and do they forget to bring this child onto the plane with them? Yeah, they forget to bring him. He's there. But the mad thing is about this one is it's like they're, they're 20 minutes in and they I think we just described the mad thing and that all these films, no, like the Child Protective Services are never called. These are terrible parents. Or you know what, lads? In 1990, the original Home Alone, the kid didn't have a mobile. They'd be just texting each other now. It'd be all yeah. sorted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where are you? End of film. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what they do here then is like they panic like 20 minutes in and decide, OK, we can't do um, a photocopy of Home Alone. People love it too much. So let's change the emphasis totally off the endearing boy who's at the centre of the story. And let's instead make this film about the couple who are trying to break into his house. And I'm going, what now? What, what are you doing now? Um, it's an odd call to make. It quickly unravels. Because the couple involved are named uh, Jeff and Pam McKenzie, uh, played by uh, Rob Delaney and Ellie Kempner, who, another really good comedic actress, Ellie Kempner. You know, it's a good cast here. So you kind of go, what happened? Um, they are selling their house unbeknownst to their kids because they can no longer pay their bills. Uh, but they hear about this woman who had found cash in the attic. She went up and found family heirlooms. So they decide to do the same thing and find a collection of antique dolls that his mother kept. They discover that one of them is worth 200 grand, but they also realise that Max, who's Archie Yates, that he had visited the house, the open house earlier. They pretended to go in to view the, view the house because he needed to use the bathroom. Um, and they discovered it, that, that, that that little boy must have taken the doll. So they had to plan to break into the house and take the doll back. Um, that's kind of it. It's directed by a guy named Dan Mazur. Again, his background in comedy is like the Ali G show. Uh, so you're kind of going, this guy with this cast must have been trying to do something a bit more interesting than what we see. Um, and, and the, 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 you know, he's screenwriting. They, they do what they can to make the most of a thin premise, but it is, it's depressing to watch, to be honest, which it has none of the fun, none of the sense of mischief of the original. Um, and and even, with, even if you're, you know, I'm not on board with the original, which I know most people are. It doesn't have the chaotic spirit and the sense of originality that the first film had. It's a real pale imitation. Um, the storytelling's poor. It doesn't find. It never finds heart. You know, there's a lot of hugging and learning at the end as well, uh, which is kind of a bit disappointing mm. um, after what's gone ahead because it's never earned it. You know what I mean? And it's a lazy place to go with hugging and learning, I think, unless there's a real heart in something. It's just um, trying to milk a bit of sentimentality out of a bad film. And that's what it was. And it's wasting a lot of good actors uh, as well. It strikes me, wasting though. At the same time, actors. why would you sign up for this? That's I the don't baffling know. thing. I don't know because it's not the screen. It's not it's not there on the script. So, you know, you ask actors about the, the, these things and they always go to the page first. So you kind of wonder what was going on with it. It's um, it's not funny. The jokes are flat. Um, it's not even trying to be funny half the time. It's like they kind of almost give up, you know, oh God. it is um, depressing. And there it is on Disney Plus tonight. If you really want to watch it. Um, it's it's on your Disney Plus this evening, and I think they, Disney have a deal at the moment as well, where you can uh, get. <laughs> well, they'll give Disney you the Samaritans hotline if you watch it to the end. <laughs> well, they've lots of really good stuff. I think you can t- take a month on Disney Plus for two euro at the moment. Um, wow! So if you want to try it, there's lots of good movies on there as well.
Okay, sounds a bit desperate. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, the hashtag, by the way, is Condiment Movies Weekend at Bernays. That's a very mm. clever one, uh, and they're uh, they're excellent this week. Uh, the actually, a couple of texts came in on a similar theme. Uh, Leslie Frank mm. says, interesting and sad that Chilean wines outsell Spanish wines. When you consider the environmental footprint of transporting what is a heavy cargo across the planet. That is even uh, taking into account that it might be bottled nearer here. Well, if you were flying it, yes. And actually, some Chilean wine is flown in in tank and bottled in the UK, in fact, uh, although most uh, that we have in the Irish market comes in by ship. It's containers. I mean, it is massive containers and ships. And it, when you add volume up, the carbon footprint is actually a lot less than you think. Trucking it from the south of France with diesel trucks and being stuck and so on, that's apparently worse. It also depends on the winery. And I mean, Chile has relatively, generally Chilean wineries are quite sustainable and so on. They, mm. they don't need to be used and stuff because it's, it's fairly straightforward to grow grapes over there. Um, it's really debatable. I mean, um, I personally think, well, the, they, the New Zealanders and the Australians will argue very strongly that they have a lower carbon footprint than most of the wine delivered by truck. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, know. amidst all this talk about climate change and terrible remakes, some good news finally. The James Corden backlash <laughs> has finally launched. Uh, a massive, a massive petition. Just a against him appearing in anything ever again. Pretty much mainly about the new <laughs> Wicked movie. I really like James Gordon. Oh, terrible. <laughs> so many people... Okay, you're going to go... I'm going to send you to your room when this is all over. I'm never coming back on this yeah. show now. Now you know why. Um, yeah, so over 86,000 people have signed a petition wow. asking that he not be involved in the new Wicked movie. Was he was he slated to, no, to be involved? No. This is the thing. Yeah. He had nothing to there's nothing's come out to say that he is in any way involved in this movie, but everyone goes James Corden is going to be involved in some way because he seems to get in everywhere. So they jumped on it and started a petition to make sure that it doesn't even get to that stage. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty much the story. Ariana Grande has been cast in it uh, alongside Cynthia Erivo. So the Crazy Rich Asians director, John M. Chu, he's behind it. And that's what we know about it at the moment. Yeah. But people don't want James Corden in it. No, but it's kind of quite prescient because he is he, he is, is in everything. He is. Uh, and, yeah. and, and it's the same thing. Thing as as uh, Ryan Reynolds, he's like the same character. Yeah, yeah, so true. And I mean, he has starred in so many iconic musicals now at this stage as well. You got Cats. He was in The Prom. He was in Cinderella, the new Cinderella movie as well. So he's getting in. Every- and then the Friends reunion mm. happened. Yeah. Nobody knew he was in any way involved. And then he but walked. Why the Tara? Why? Why do they keep dragging him into these things? Is he big in America? Is my question. He's a late night show. Well, he's, he's a talk, he's, show, he's like, talk show thing and all that singing and car like, stuff. Yeah. You know. So then is it just America that he's obviously doing well or I mean it can't be if 86,000 people don't want him in it so why is he getting in everywhere so many questions because America's because he's British and he seems probably more like an, an ordinary relatable guy yeah than yeah. perhaps Amer- he maybe seems less slick to them or something that's, uh, that's the only thing I can mm. think of uh, really I, I, everyone I've spoken to everyone I've spoken to about this has been like yeah no I don't want him in it and I just I just feel like I haven't. I rarely meet people who really like James Corden. My screen is filling up with people who can't stand James really? Corden, and, and, and are delighted to hear this news. It's oh it's extraordinary. I wonder how he sleeps at night. I, I think it's. Yeah. I think it's He's a lot of money to lie on, you know. Well, you no, know, but he gets up in the morning and he goes, "Oh my God, I'm James Corden. I hate him." <laughs> right, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We do have to take a break. Uh, coming up next, uh, another movie and more wine.
So, Leslie, uh, tell us about uh, the sherry we're drinking today. Okay, so um, sherry is, in my opinion, the world's best wine for the money. There is no more wine, no wine that costs as much to make and that takes as long to make as sherry. It is, if you drink Fino white, clear Fino sherry like Tio Pepe, currently on offer in places like Super Value and Dunn's for fourteen ninety five, which is ridiculous because it's a full bottle. I've got a half bottle of Oloroso here. Fino is one style. It's dry and very, very dry and crisp. That ages to become an amontillado when it goes all sort of nutty and tawny. However, if you start off with an Oloroso, and most sweet sherries that people would know would be Oloroso, but that's not the natural way that sherry is. Sherry is generally a dry wine, as this is. This is Don Nuno, uh, Lustau Don Nuno uh, Oloroso Sherry. This would have been aged for about 12 years before it would have been released. When you want to get some wine to sell, you take it from the barrels in the bottom row, about a quarter of it, quarter of each barrel and then mm. you fill those in the barrel above and then the barrel above and the barrel above and the barrel above and sometimes there could be 14 levels in this and then um, the new wine is kept which has just been fermented that year and kept under carbon dioxide or whatever is then put into the top barrels and so it lingers a long time in barrel and it takes on this flavour and it's a sort of a rich dark mahogany colour it smells of nuts and walnuts mm. and chocolate and toffee but it's dry but it's lots of mouthfeel and roundness um, Hence the salted almonds and so on. And it's barrels of this that is, if you, if you see sherry cask aged whiskey as like the Macallan and famously Redbreast and Redbreast actually collaborated with Lustau and there's a Lustau Redbreast edition which is delicious and yeah. has it even more sherry cask because I think Redbreast is not 100% sherry normally. Um, sherry cask normally is usually a little bit of bourbon but the Lustau edition is, is 100% Don Nuno casks. And so I think the perfect present this year would be a bottle of uh, this and a bottle of Redbreast and you can compare the two and so on. It's, it, sherry has had a bit of a revival from from the whiskey bros and the whiskey gals all, you know, exploring this amazing mm. drink that is ageing. Um, their, their, their wine is their, that their favourite sherries and, sorry, their, can't speak, their favourite <laughs> whiskeys are being aged <laughs> in. Um, uh, but, but, but the uh, thing is, like, say, that, like, traditionally sherries, seen as you have it at Christmas, you give it to granny yeah. kind of thing. Uh, but, like, but, but that's sherry, a sweet sherry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sherry is a wine. It is so a totally wine. So yeah. would you, would you actually drink yeah, it with food? Apart from the lovely salted almonds that you brought um, So, um, I know nothing better that could match say um, consomme soup or a rich meaty soup or you could have it with um, charcuterie you could have it with cheese it would work with any of these things mm. with your steak I mean you absolutely could have it with if you had a sauce that was made from the sherry do you know what I mean like it's not you know okay. it isn't the traditional thing you'd have with something like a meat dish or that but it, it has lovely meaty rounded flavours it's not sweet enough to have with, with, with dessert now to make sweet sherry you would take a wine exactly like this and then add in some wine made from Pedro Jimenez dried Pedro Jimenez grapes which is really sticky and sweet and that then just that then softens it out so East India Solera is the Lusta one that's got about 20% of sweet wine mixed in with the Oloroso and the, but it's, it's just it's balanced it's got the dryness of the Oloroso with the sweetness of the PX PX is so sweet you can pour it over ice cream like it's like syrup it's, it's extraordinary stuff you know oh wow um, yeah. so I just give Sherry a go this is International Sherry Week which is why I decided to do this but fish and chips and a bottle of Tio Pepe oh I'm telling you it's heaven it's heaven. Right, okay, right. and you would drink it like because Absolutely. I mean, well, it's a, how, what's the ABV well, 15, on this? Well, Tio is like 15%. This is okay. a bit more. This is yeah. like 18, I think. Yeah. Um, kind so of Christmasy. Yeah. Yeah, well, see, that's uh, the association, yeah. I suppose. And if you remember, into us. Amontillado has that same nutty richness, but it's mm. drier because it's, it was originally a Fino, and Fino is the world's driest wine because mm. it, because the way it's aged under this yeast, the yeast eats the glycerin in it and dries it out completely, so it's bone, bone, bone dry. So it is the opposite of sweet things, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Now, it, look, 
it is just take getting used to. But a glass of sherry on a warm day in Spain with some fried uh, bucketry, little those little fried fish, mm. uh, the bucketry, what not bucketry? I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> little little, little buccarones, is it? No, yeah. the little fried fish. They're I lovely. Know, you got me that. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so and um, like, there was a famous wine writer who used to have a bottle of Tia Pepe and fish and chips. That was his Friday night every night, every Friday night. Sounds um, nice. So, yeah, yeah. Sounds nice. Someone's texting in to say I drink uh, sherry all the time with my brother. That's from Niles. There you go. Niles Crane. Yes. Sherry. Okay, there you go. To- to- yeah. Totally blank. Yeah. What are you talking no, about? No, yeah. Fred Frazier, Sorry, yeah. that was yeah. that was literally a dad joke. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fraser, the sitcom, you'd have to, you know. I know I did watch Fraser, but I, not yeah. well enough. Yeah. Yeah. Not well enough. When you really bounce on your yeah. mammy's knee. Uh, it, it was really annoying. They were drinking Harris Whistle Cream all the time. Harris Whistle Cream is fine. It's it's grand, mm. as a black, but it is the least interesting of the sherries on the shelf. It yeah. is the least interesting. They lived in Seattle. Yeah. Did you no, get really, in Seattle yeah. in the 90s, really? It's true. It's yeah. True. <laughs> uh, Bacca... Bocconcini, is that what? It, Possibly, yeah. No, yeah. I, I think it was buc- buccaroni. I, I there's a little fried fish. They're like little sprats, basically, that they fry. And there's different ones that they, they, they sometimes just fry them in a little bit of pa- in batter and so on. And then mm. you pick those mm. with the... When I bring... Um, my, I do a white tissue wine course in Rathmines College, which you, you can all do next uh, January, February. Um, <laughs> but it is uh, on, the, on the night of the... I'm doing fortified wines. I always bring along some burdocks, fish and chips. And we have oh, the nice. our batter bits for cert, at least. And, th- and that with the... It doesn't convince everyone in the room. There are people there who there are people you'll never convince <laughs> who think it smells of paint thinner, and yeah. it, it isn't. It smells of this is dry fino. It smells of kind of chamomile tea and and bread and kind of yeasty. It's very very yeasty because it lives all its life under this fluffy yeast called flour, and the barrel is never full, so it actually oxidizes as it's going and. There is that oxidative thing on sherry which people don't really like, um, but it actually rounds it out. Madeira is another one like this, you know, um, they, but Madeira is usually a little sweeter. Um, mm-hmm. But I, look, it, with your Christmas dinner, there should be a bottle of dry sherry in that. Actually, you can put it into the soup and put it into consomme. Do you need one last thing? Bloody Mary. Peter Dunn in Mitchell's was telling me this. He loves a dash of um, Oloroso sherry in his Bloody Mary and it really does work. I've tried it. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that would be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Right, I will move on to our second uh, movie of the day. It is Red Notice Here's your clip. Looking for something specific or just browsing? You look awful. Mm. You know, there was an easier way in, but I doubt very much that you could have managed it. Mm. Now that I have two out of the three eggs, I'll give you one last chance to take me up on my offer. Where's my counteroffer? Mm-hmm. You're under arrest. Oh my God. Read the room. I told you, this would end with you in handcuffs. You're so embarrassing. He's so embarrassing. Tell you what, Agent Hartley. You want to arrest me? Come. Arrest me. I just want the egg. Crash bang wallop. Gail Godot there, the James Corden of action movies. Right, so uh, this is a red... They have to uh, arrest Gail Godot and this is it's more difficult than they first think. Yeah, and did yeah. you hear Ryan Reynolds there parking yeah. on again? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like it's two hours he's at it. They think they're in a really clever screwball comedy. They do. Mm. Um, they think it's a, a blend of Indiana Jones and the Thomas Crown Affair. Um, but what it is is an overstuffed, overpriced movie short snappy one-liners and there's a lot of glass gloss and glamour to it it looks lovely 
but it really doesn't have the sense of fun it thinks it has. You know, um, as I mentioned, Red Notice refers to the highest level of arrest warrant by Interpol and it's reserved for the world's most wanted criminals. Two of them played by Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot are planning to pull off this heist. Uh, the action begins with this uh, big hustle in Rome where The Rock who I'm a big fan of, as you know, but I think he starts needs to start, start choosing better. Uh, Dwayne Johnson, he plays an FBI behavioural profiler. And uh, there is a joke early on where he says, you, do, you don't look like, like a behavioural profiler. And he says, yeah, I get that a lot. So they kind of get past um, the, that kind oh, yeah. of That explains that plot hole there, yeah, easily. <laughs> I was there like going... I've seen a movie where The Rock plays a paleontologist. Like, you don't have to explain this. That's true. That's true. I don't know. It's just like it's, you, you immediately say you're next too thick to be a paleontologist. That would yeah, be my only reaction. And that's what yeah. the visual joke. Yeah, yeah, that's what the joke was there. Um, so he's kind of got wind in Rome that this thief is trying to, Reynolds, is trying to steal um, these eggs originally gifted from Anthony to Cleopatra that are housed in three different locations and there is word out among all the thieves in the world um, I don't know how they got word out they must have stuck something on a notice board uh, but together the three eggs would be worth a fortune they've never been in a collection together and this Egyptian billionaire is desperate to give them to his daughter as a wedding gift because guess what her name is Cleopatra <sighs> <sighs> So anyway, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> anyway, so Gal Gadot's this character named the Bishop. She's a jewel thief who has got wind about the eggs as well. And basically, we are going all over various European lo- locations with uh, Gadot and Reynolds trying to outfox each other and get the three eggs at the same time, while The Rock is basically chasing them around and trying to get there first. And so it's a big hustle. They're trying to outdo each other. Somebody in here. Um, saw really good, those really great movies, those put down movies from the 40s and 50s and thought, oh, maybe we can do that in the, the current Hollywood structure. I was probably really disappointed with what happened. Um, so it has a lot of big elaborate set pieces, a lot of stunt sequences um, and an early face off between Johnson and Reynolds. These two do not like each other. There's a nice set piece in a masked ball. There are elements to it that work, but ultimately... The whole affair has a hollowness to it. Never got on, never got in on the fun, never kind of got involved in it really. Um, the, the put downs and the one liners get really grating over the two hours. Um, they're overreaching most of the time rather than really funny. And the frequency with which they don't land and which pe- people persist in speaking this way that nobody in real world, in real life actually speaks. Um, starts to really great you after a while. Mm. Uh, it's tedious. It's a really tedious. And even the plot twist, people are outfoxing each other over and over again. And even those are so numerous and nonsensical that they feel like padding. Um, and then the movie also relies very heavily on, obviously, on the star wattage of the three leads. But mm. okay, then quick say, question, uh, Esther. Uh, due to a, 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 a huge bureaucratic mix-up, you're you're the victim of extraordinary rendition. You're you're flown to a black site. Uh, and the CIA give you the choice between watching Home Sweet Home Alone or Red Notice. Which one do you go for? Well, are they trying to get a confession out of me? Yeah. <laughs> well, you want, to be, you want to be tortured the least. Let's put it that way. Tortured the least. Oh, my God. Oh, 
Can, is there a third way, Sean? Yeah, or we pull out one? your fingernails. Uh, that's probably what you're going to go for. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go with the fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, okay, well that sums really it up then. If you see this, it's on Netflix tonight. God help us all. Uh, thanks a million, uh, Esther, uh, Leslie and Tara. Sorry, Tara, we, there was a couple more stories we wanted to get you there, but I'm oh. still huffing over your James Corden comment. <laughs> uh, uh, that's our lot today. Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie.